I wasn't being overworked and burned out the same way that, you know, you typically hear people going through career changes or who are very stressed at work. It made me feel even more alone in that, like, even thinking like, oh, I shouldn't be complaining. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We hope you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that is unapologetically you and then go get it. If you feel like you were meant for more and you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Is being bored a good enough reason to leave my job? We actually get asked this question quite often, and I'll say this first. You don't need to justify wanting to leave, whether you're burned out and overstimulated or bored and understimulated. You deserve a career that fits you. But here's the thing. This question gets me thinking. Burnout is talked about a lot. I mean, 500 million results came up when I typed burnout into Google. But the thing that's not talked about enough and why many people feel so alone when they experience it is how being bored and unstimulated at work can be just as draining as burnout. I think I became very apathetic in my last job where I was at for seven years. And that was just such a dangerous place to be. And it's it's just so subtle too, which makes it really hard. And so I think once I realized like I just was at a point where I just don't care. That's Lisa Vu. Lisa was working in research at UCSF, and like many of you, she was bored at work. So very bored. She was feeling very siloed. She was unable to collaborate and was not receiving any feedback. She could basically do her job and no one else would know. Okay, so some people would listen to this, and because her job was so very low lift and had almost no oversight, she knew that many people would kill for her type of role. But It wasn't right for her. And so she decided to find something else. And as she began working with her coach, she realized that she needed to look outside of research, but then she found herself unable to look at anything besides what she was comfortable with. This was a really interesting phenomenon. And don't we all do some of this? We know that we don't have exposure to what else is out there, but then We go to an organization's careers page, and the first thing we look at are roles that we already know something about. It's insanity, but we just can't help ourselves. So Lisa realized this mid-career change, and she kept returning to her research comfort zone, and she somehow had to escape that. So instead of going completely rogue to a new industry and new role, she decided to look for roles within her current organization, the University of California, San Francisco, which luckily has a ton of different departments and jobs. Now, towards the end of this episode, Lisa and I walk through her ideal career profile and examine all of the must-haves she identified and how she searched for them during her job hunt. So I want you to pay attention for that. It's uh, really interesting to connect it all back together. Lisa is now a project manager with UCSF, where she works to improve vaccine rates in her local healthcare system. So let's get into the conversation. Here's Lisa taking us back to the beginning of her career. I graduated during the recession. And so that sort of kind of not dictated my career path, but that just, it was hard to get jobs. So for one, I, that was my first crossroads. 
of what do I do with my life? I really didn't have a clear plan. And I think through a connection, one of my friend's friends was like, hey, I know someone who's hiring for a research assistant position. And I interviewed and I got it. And this was like six months after I graduated, which yeah. was actually pretty good for the time because I knew people who would take or who it took nine to 12 months to get a job. And so I was a research assistant um, and then a research coordinator for a couple years. And then I had talked with a friend who got a master in public health. And so I decided to pursue that before I accepted my job and took this job um, in order to get more experience for it. So I went to school, went back to school. It was a really great experience. Got to meet a lot of people and take a lot of great classes. And then I graduated after a couple of years. And then I took a job as a project manager, working on a lot of cool projects. But it was a job that was not looked looking back, it was a pretty unhealthy environment. And so it was also another point of like, I suppose, graduating again. And what do I do next? And so um, I actually was offered two jobs. One was at the place I used to work before then, and it was very familiar. And it was kind of the same job I did before, but a little bit more money. And then the other job, which was the stressful job I ended up taking, because it, it, paid slightly more but I felt like oh I need more experience something different and so there's a lot of great things I learned from this job right after grad school it forced me to get outside my comfort zone and really forced me to lead as a project manager in ways I wouldn't have before because I would have just been wanting to have someone show me what to do but that wasn't really the case there and so it's just kind of you're just thrown into it so which is not uncommon. In that is not so, uncommon. True story. Yeah. yeah. So, but it was just not a place that had enough support, in my opinion. And we kind of have very high expectations for a lot of people, like in my position with less experience, you know? And so I eventually decided to look for another job. My next role was being a, like, a research lead for it was a very cool the work for this company was very cool we did social marketing type work especially in in public health so if you see an ad for like hiv testing or smoking cessation it would be like plastered around the city and in other cities as well we had clients in different departments of health in new york and so our work would be like that was really cool work and I, I supported that with my research knowledge and skills. I was the research department, I guess. And so I was the one person. It was a very small group of people. So that was very fun and cool. Although after a couple years, I realized it was very understimulating and not challenging for me since I was like the one person that did it. And yep. I look back and consider that as like kind of my buffer position to kind of recover from a previous toxic position. So it was very easy for me. It was very comfortable. So I was like, okay, this is good. I need this to kind of recover from that previous job. But I didn't really, I think looking back, it would have been beneficial to think about. I think I thought about 
what I didn't like and what I would do differently, but I didn't really do the internal change type of stuff like I was doing Mm. during coaching. And so I think that led me to kind of repeat the pattern of just continuing to stay in my comfort zone in this next job where I would be at for seven years. Has that been a pattern for you in other places besides those two, those two roles? The first role I had right outside of, or right after undergrad, yeah, that was also a very comfortable role. And so I feel like most of my career, except for the the one toxic position that was very stressful, most of my career, if you're counting the four roles now. Oh, I count it. Yeah. <laughs> the three out of the four were yeah. very just low key, independent, which sounds really great, right? <laughs> you know, and so like I'm getting paid for doing, you know, just, yeah. So it was just familiar and comfortable. And that's kind of what I knew. <laughs> but also simultaneously, it sounds like not the type of stimulation or challenge that really was beneficial for you. And it sounds like not necessarily the type of collaboration or yeah. involvement um, with other people that you were looking for as well. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I think, the people were probably it. In what way? Well, I will say that the really unhealthy job I had, the best part was the people. Like we supported each other. We were all stressed out of our minds, but we were there for each other. We hung out. We not like, you know, like I have to be best friends with people outside of work, but it was just, we had this camaraderie that I just really appreciated. And same for other workplaces that, that that just really helped make the experience better for me. And it was something I overlooked because my my most recent job that I left that I was quite unhappy in, it did not have any of that. <laughs> and so, and it was something I kind of felt early on, but I ignored it because it was just, it was something that I felt was too small of a reason to like, to move on and find another job. And it, I didn't think about this until later on in my career coaching, but yeah, when you're in a job, when you're working, because it's full time, yeah. it's a lot of your time, you're being conditioned in <laughs> one way or another. And it was like, wow, I did not <laughs> realize that. And it's that's really what I felt was happening in my previous job, where I was not really getting interaction. I was not getting feedback about how to be better or growth or you know anything like that. And so that really, I just was con- felt conditioned to that was my reality. And I felt like that was normal. And that was what it was supposed to be, which is, yeah, that's kind of the scary part. (laughs) At what point did you recognize, do you remember any point in time where it caused you to then feel like, no, I have to, I have to do something about this. I have to do something different. What was that point in time for you? I think just frustrations at work, just started getting more amplified yeah maybe beforehand it was just an annoyance but i was getting very frustrated and just like starting to get thoughts of like i like don't want to be at this job or i should start considering something else and also just thinking about like maybe my friends and husband are tired of hearing me complain (laughs) all the time (laughs) more of that it's like oh i'm doing this a lot more and so but just i noticed how things would set me off a little bit more than it used to. Another added thing is that didn't help was 
of course, the pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> just throw a I, pandemic on top yeah, of throw anything that in else. There, and, you know? <laughs> yep, exactly. I think I probably would have started searching sooner. And I think I was, but then the pandemic happened, looking for another job or another career path or whatever. And at that time, it was very hard to think about like, well, I have a, my very secure job right now. <laughs> and so where I I thankfully don't need to use too much of my brain, you know, and, or that's what it felt like. So, and it was helpful at the time, at the beginning with all the, well, all that was going on that I didn't need to have to be checked in as much and still be on top of my job. Yeah. But after a while, yeah, I think the, what really kept me in my role was that this kind of narrative or thoughts of, I have it pretty good now. <laughs> and like, you know, people would would kill for a role where you didn't have to do a ton and got little oversight and you could I kind of got to do whatever I wanted as long as I got the job done. Yeah. So for you, the couple elements that were really great, like having that ability to act pretty independent, pretty flexibly, had a lot of autonomy and just deliver the results. The thought of <laughs> giving that up, if you will, kind of overshadowed and and kept kept you in that role for, it sounds like, longer than you wanted to be. Yeah. That plus the fear of entering a very toxic environment like I had done in the past, Yeah, especially as I was hearing about a lot of people I knew who were in those types of environments themselves, especially during the pandemic where jobs were cut and people had to take on, you know, two roles without getting compensated for it. Yeah. Or just <laughs> So it would just made me more scared. I think my anxiety just got especially heightened with the pandemic and that just translated to being anxious about moving outside of my comfort zone for work mm. also. Okay, let's talk about that then. So when you finally made the decision, hey, look, I'm I'm doing this. I'm in one way or another, I'm going full in and I'm gonna make this change. What what did you do at that point? What did you try at that point? What did the beginning stages of making a change look like for you? It was really listening to a few different career change podcasts, yeah. including yours, because I'd never heard testimonials or people's stories like that that yeah. sounded like mine which was very eye-opening for me because I just felt like it I felt alone because I wasn't being overworked and burned out the same way that we typically hear people going through career changes or who are very stressed at work it made it it made me feel even more alone in that even thinking like oh I shouldn't be complaining of course that's Looking back now, that was just not helpful at all. I was just kind of kicking myself while I was down. But yeah, it was yeah very eye-opening to hear the stories. And then I think with your podcast, you're the only one that has actual client interviews. <laughs> and so that was especially helpful to hear different varieties of stories. So even if it wasn't exactly the same, there were many components that really resonated with me. Well, I, I appreciate that immensely. And the other question that I have for you too is when you think about this process, what was the hardest part or most uncomfortable part 
for you through the process of career change? I don't know if I can pick a singular one, but let's go I for a few. Then. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning, it was a little bit hard because I didn't know anyone else who had done career career coaching and especially the investment yeah. involved. It's like, oh, you know, the thoughts of like, I, I don't know. I have to pay money to make it do stuff I could be doing on my own. But then eventually got to a point where it doesn't matter. I need, I'm need, admitting to myself, I need some help with this. And that's something I've always struggled with is reaching out for help. And so this is where I'm at least the one thing I didn't know what I was going to look like. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. But the one thing I was trying to tell myself is like, this is your chance to reach out for some help. Yeah. So people who have that same tendency to think, oh, I should do this on my own. I should, I should make a career change on my own. I should mow my lawn <laughs> on my own. I don't know. Pick the, yeah. pick the thing in here. But we're talking particularly about pursuing an intentional career, Yeah. which strangely is it, we all know this isn't really something like we're taught in college or anything else, mm-hmm. but we all sort of think that we should do this on yeah. our own. So what advice would you give that person who's going through a bit of that? I need to do this on my own. I mean, it it's worth it to look outside of yourself, even if it's not involving another human being coaching you, like looking whether that looks like resources or learning some more because we're we're, I just don't feel like we're meant to take on something so big like this by ourselves. And it's just too much for one person, not to mention that there's just so much we've kind of been programmed or ingrained about what job, the job hunting process is. Mm. It's unless you've made lots of different changes to your approach over the career, your career, if you're going to be doing the same thing and especially doing it by yourself, it's you're probably not going to yield many changes. So yeah, I definitely highly advise people. And I, I get for some things, there's an investment component that's totally understandable. <laughs> um, but it's so worth looking, at least getting an additional perspective or just learning something that you don't know already about approaching career change. I highly advise it. Yeah. It's not, you're not weak. (laughs) You're not like, I just don't know where that came from, where you have to do something yourself. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's this culture of independence that like something about like, you should be able to do this on your own. But it's even if you could, you don't get that outside perspective. Because there's such a huge world of different careers and career types and all these aspects that go into a career. Like, how are you going to do that? on your own, whether it's doing what you know already and whatnot. Yeah. So this is one thing that I wanted to just ask you about. You've mentioned it a couple of times, just about getting outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And when you initially got into your ICP being an ideal career profile, which behind the scenes, that's a simple tool that we use in order to begin to build what we call our ideals and minimums, or rather a checklist of what you might need for your next career change. Anyhow, so you came up with some of those hypotheses, hypothesis, hypothesi, (laughs) hypothesis, a hypothesis that, uh, yeah, more than one hypothesis that you wanted to explore. And 
I wanted to ask you first about after you got past that stage and got into reach outs, that seemed to be an area that was very outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. What made it outside your comfort zone and what helped with that? Um, I think it was, so what my struggle was, was I would just get ahead of myself when I'm thinking about who to reach out to. It was easy for me to reach out to my friends. Yeah. (laughs) who were in the career path I was exploring, but, you know, I needed to reach out to beyond that. And so that's where I got kind of in my head, like, like thinking ahead, trying to predict like, Oh, they're going to think this and that. And is that really, I was just kind of getting in my own way (laughs) versus just doing it. And so I think what really clicked for me to do it was like, this is just experimenting. And I started thinking kind of like a researcher. (laughs) So you're just you're testing hypotheses like you said and there's no outcome you're aiming towards like in research i mean of course you you might have things that you might be leaning towards happening but you don't let that affect your that's a bias you know <laughs> let that affect your outcome what your outcome is your outcome and that's what you're that's what it is and it's not right or wrong you know and so i don't know something just clicked where i just got into a research mind and was like this is, if it's ends up being something that doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And that's where I find out. And, and I know that's what's been in your boot camp, And that's what's been um, practice with the, uh, the method and coaching, but it just didn't click until kind of then. And then that's where I started just firing off some uh, messages, like on LinkedIn, even I was a little nervous about that. I'm like, I don't really done a cold message on LinkedIn before. And I think emailing people within my academic institution, because it was, it's really big. And then of course, as predicted, or as you know, said, the actual interactions were pretty good. People were very willing to talk. And I think looking back, that was what I was a little nervous about. Like, am I bothering them? (laughs) But most people were really willing to talk and I would say it was the practice of doing that that led me to my job rather than the connections. But also I, what I learned along the way helped too. It helped to for me to strike out anything like, oh, okay, maybe I don't want to do this. Yeah. What's an example of something along the way where it came up and you're like, yeah, this isn't right for me. But obviously it sounds like now you look at that as great feedback. But what's a, what's yeah. an example of a time where that happened? Oh, there's a role I was looking into. It was like a, a protocol manager. Cause I, one of the things I uncovered in, or was trying to during my whole process was what do I like to do? So I was like, I actually like to write up protocols, <laughs> which is as nerdy as that sounds, but it's just like, I just like doing stuff like that and writing things that, or making resources for people on informing them how to do things or understand something better. So I, there was a role specifically for that. But then after I talked to a couple people, I learned that that role, at least my, at my institution, has been transformed to something that's more supervisory, which I didn't really want, at least not more than a couple people. And this would be part of my job. And I, I didn't want that. So I was like, okay, maybe not that. That's amazing. That's, that's really cool because it sounds like 
you initially thought, hey, this could be something that is great for me. It seems to fit at a face level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as you got deeper in, as you had some of those conversations, it sounded like then you started getting indications that, nope, this is, this is, yes, maybe that stuff is there, but also included is a whole bunch of other things that I really don't want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what drew me to it was I probably would have been a good candidate because it's familiar in certain ways. And I think I have the background for it, but yeah. And I was told as such from the people I talked to, but yeah, that was something that was hard to tell myself because I think that was something I realized about myself, whatever I'm very qualified for, or seems easiest to get (laughs) in a way, that's what I get drawn towards, but without really questioning whether does this fit with what I said I want? That's really amazing because you one recognize that about yourself, which is huge just on its own, but also you were able to turn, you know, can stop pursuing this particular opportunity. And so I'm curious what caused you to, what caused you to be able to say, no, this is just not for me. When every time in the past you would have been like, yeah, this is, I should keep going. I think it's, I mean, the ICP and all the work I've been doing and really the investment, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was just like, I want to make sure it's very aligned and not just take the easy way out. So I think knowing that, well, especially the parts I didn't like about the role, as tempted as I was to kind of ignore it, I knew I just wouldn't have liked it. Or that was just some an aspect that I wanted to listen to that. And also because I'd been in my role my the role that I was in while I was looking for a job for so long I wanted it to be very as aligned as I could be not necessarily a perfect job but just aligned in the ways I wanted it to be so I didn't want to leave my role for just the next thing when when you say that it was partially the ICP what about the ideal career profile helped in that situation just all the areas, the aspects of the career that I had listed out that I'm trying to remember what they are, but that I wanted. I have an example career. of one, one minimum here. And this comes from Megan on our team who you got to work with. Yeah. She said, you know, having, having at least one other person who understands my job role and I can go to with questions, that'd be an example of your minimum. Yeah. So you must have that at all costs. But then your ideal looked like having more than that, having at least three people who understand Mm -hmm. my job role and I can collaborate with. Yeah, because in my past roles, I was the only one that knew what I knew. I mean, I am like that to an extent. Yeah. At least where I work now, there's at least another project manager who may work on different projects, but she has the knowledge of being one already at where I work and I can go to her. Mm. And that's what I wanted, but, and didn't have before. It was very lonely in past roles to really feel like I didn't have anyone to go to. I'm sure if I really put more energy into it, I could have found something, but like kind of talking about conditioning before I felt conditioned in a way that I couldn't really depend on my environment to help me out. So let's talk about that. Cause one of the things that I think you did very well, and I know Megan agrees was making some mindset shifts. And one in particular and, and was realizing that you could trust yourself 
after you had some of those past experiences, past roles that had constantly made you doubt yourself. Mm. So uh, I'm curious, what did that look like for you? What did that mindset shift or, or some of the mindset shifts look like? And how did those help? I would say one of the first ones was when her and I were thinking of what to different paths to explore. Yeah. And this was one of the reasons I signed up for the coaching because I was like, I really don't know. I literally don't know what to put in my search engine, <laughs> like other <laughs> than what I know. <laughs> so a little part of it was like, what do I put in there? I mean, it's more than that. But yep. she asked me, let's think of four or five different paths or jobs or whatever that you'd l- want to explore. And I came up with two or three and it was hard for me to come up with the rest because I was just in my head about what I could or quote unquote was allowed to pursue. And so her encouragement of kind of just thinking outside it, even if there was like just no chance of me, you know, being, I don't know. See, that's me kind of channeling the voice I had back then, you yeah. know, like yeah. I, I only wanted to explore it if I knew there was a chance of being good at it or having some success with it or some some degree of success. But coming up with those things to put in a search engine or ideas of th- of pathways to explore, I think that was a big mindset shift. Mm. Because one of the things I was interested in exploring was just the field of human-centered design user experience, a lot of different words for it, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and even like the word design kind of was limiting to me at the time. Cause I was like, I'm not a designer or <laughs> just the way I thought about I could it. could never be yeah. a designer. Yeah. Right, that but whole then, time. Yeah. But that was without me even exploring it, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so I've talked to a lot of people who are in the field, like friends and otherwise, and learned that it was a very good fit for what my interests were and my skills. And the cool thing about human-centered design is it's not so exclusive where maybe certain roles are, but like any, I feel like just like public health, a lot of different industry or a lot of different fields can go alongside it or utilize it. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. So what I hear you saying is that initially the way that you were thinking about even paths to explore, you found yourself kind of qualifying those or not allowing you to explore. And so, yeah, you were trying to come up with, use the example, like trying to come up with four or five different paths, but you could only come up with two or three because Mm -hmm. you were editing out all the rest of those that actually could have been a good fit. And then that's, that's fascinating what advice would you give to someone else who finds themselves doing the same thing? Cause I think that's pretty, pretty common. It's pretty common for us yeah. to say, Oh, I could never do that. Or, Oh, but that's only for people insert, insert, insert. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to people who are thinking that? I mean, I think this is something along the lines of what Megan told me, but just give yourself permission to just explore trying to remember how she said it, <laughs> but just exploring really without the, an outcome. And that that's hard, I will say that, but to just not think of the outcome, which the end goal is to get a job, right? But once I started not thinking about getting a job, then it became a lot more exploratory, more creative, and it kind of got me a little bit more 
in touch with just the creative side of my brain too in this process, just like how important that is. And I just never use it in terms of my work and stuff and just allowing yourself to not be attached to, which is hard because when I was exploring, I would still automatically go to the careers page of a company and see what roles they have. (laughs) And then I would do the qualifying thing like, oh, this would be good. But I will say for me, it took a while to break out of that. So it's that conditioning, right? <laughs> yeah. So I started with, how about we don't look at the careers tab or <laughs> stay away from careers tab at all costs. Yeah. So, and then eventually when I let myself look at the careers tab again, let's not look for roles that are mm. exactly what you do already, <laughs> or, you know, let's open or even just opening roles that were completely different than what I was used to was even even that little thing was kind of a big thing for me to just let myself look at something like literally just look at it i'm not committing to it <laughs> you know you know i will tell you in 10 years i have never heard anybody talk about talk about that one piece of it the same way that you just did like the we want to change. We recognize that we're, we don't have exposure to other, you know, types of roles, jobs, needs, professions, all the things. And yet when we go to a careers page, we will only allow ourselves to look at what we've already, what we've already done or what we're already familiar with. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It happens a lot all the time. Yeah. Megan even said, don't look at research positions and I did anyways. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just so well part of it uh, was just to get out of my system like I have this urge. I just gotta do it. <laughs> but, just have to, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's just yeah, it's just kind of wild to like kind of uncover that about me and what I'm just so used to leaning towards. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. And great job too recognizing that. I think I'm Megan had said this, but I'm getting the degree of which your self-awareness extends. And that's, that's pretty cool because you can't really make the type of change that you did without having a prerequisite level of self-awareness. Otherwise it's, it's really, really difficult, nearly impossible to be able to do. And it's already hard enough as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty great to hear. (laughs) And yeah, I, I'm, I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm glad I was able to catch that. Tell me a little bit about what was on your ICP that you remember, that you recall, or what are the pieces that you had identified that you wanted that now you feel like you have in your newest role? I mean, the one that you pulled out as an example about having at least one other person who has at least some shared knowledge of of my role, that was pretty helpful just being in, I don't know how to, I think I put something like people I would want to go to lunch with or something, mm. which, you know, if you asked me before all this, it would have just sounded so, like such a small detail. But after being in roles that were just so isolating, yeah. um, it was just, it just became a very important thing to me. Yeah, it, it still feels weird to say out loud. And it's not like my top thing, but it's just something that is important also. Yeah. Um, Because everything else could be great. But if I'm not interacting with people and I'm an introvert. You and me both. (laughs) Like 
it just really, yeah, it just really impacted my mental health to not get the interaction, even just those little interactions with people. Again, I don't feel like I have to be best friends with people at work. And I definitely feel like there has to be, I'm just, I have my boundaries and stuff, but just having those little interactions of, especially of support and things like that, they're very important. I think one of the things that stood out to me was you had a lot of your strengths feed into collaboration. And I know you've mentioned collaboration a couple of times, but it sounded Mm -hmm. like that was pretty important. And even though you're an introvert, even though you're, you can do analytical really well and you can do research really well, being isolated, obviously not a great thing for you, but more so having the right type of collaboration is amazing for you. That creates a much, much better situation and sounds like the right people to collaborate with as well. The people that you could go to lunch with. Yeah. People who care to check in and things like that, which again, it doesn't sound like much, but it's just like when you don't have that, it can really impact you. Yeah. What else have we not covered here that you would want people to know either about your process or about anything else that we haven't covered? I think we hit a lot of major points. I will say that, and this is what I've been telling people, like one of my biggest takeaways of what I learned about myself and through this process or what wasn't covered anyways, was that like, I think I became very apathetic in my last job where I was at for seven years. And that was just such a dangerous place to be. And it's just so subtle too, which makes it really hard. And so I think once I realized I just was at a point where I just don't care (laughs) that just really, or maybe I don't care as much as I want to. The apathy creeps in. It creeps in and it really impacted my mental health, impacted other parts of my life where I don't, I don't know how to fully explain, but yeah. So I would say if anyone ever gets to that point, it, I mean, There's a lot of important things about a job like finances and benefits. Yes, I understand that. But after considering all that, it kind of doesn't matter what other aspects of your job may seem good if you kind of don't care anymore. So I I would say at the very least, it's a sign to kind of reflect on that or reflect what might be behind it. So if I were to ever feel that again, then I know now it's a sign to look into it more. Hey, if you love this story where we talk through and walk you through step-by-step how someone got to more meaningful work, then you'll absolutely love our audiobook, Happen to Your Career, An Unconventional Approach to Career Change and Meaningful Work. I even got to narrate it, which was so fun and something that I really enjoy doing and will definitely do for future books as well. But it also contains firsthand accounts from career changers on how they made the move to more meaningful work just like we include on the podcast here. And actually, it's been called the best audiobook experience ever by some reviewers. <laughs> you can find those reviews and the book itself on Audible, Amazon, or any other place where books are sold. Seriously, just pause this right now and go over to Amazon or Audible or wherever you want and download it. You can be reading it and start it on your career change in literally seconds. Now, here's a sneak peek into what's coming up next week, right here on Happen to Your Career. Do you even want to be at this place or is this just a job for you? And if it's just a job, that's fine. 
but you're probably going to want a new one relatively quickly. When you're making a career transition, how will you recognize what is actually a great fit for you? We get many questions from happeners all over the world, which we love, but I've never actually had anyone ask me that question. And in many ways, it is the question. The simple answer is, well, unless you've done some certain work, you probably won't. We've had so many clients that have had the same story over and over again. They take many months to define what they want. They experiment to validate that that's actually what they want in the real world. And then miraculously, it seems to appear out of nowhere. Here's what actually happens. The opportunities were there the whole time. But if you don't know what to look for, the same opportunity that might already be there just passes you by like two ships in the night. And you never realize that it was so close to you. All that and plenty more next week right here on Happen to Your Career. Make sure that you don't miss it. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically. Even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, adios. I'm out. Oh.